You're listening to the Your Queer Story podcast, the podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism, led by your favorite hosts, Evan Jones and Paul Hobbs. Trigger warning. Our content covers centuries of LGBTQ plus stories, and occasionally we may use outdated language or cover topics that include violence, assault, homophobia, transphobia, as well as other injustices against marginalized communities. Make sure you subscribe and review wherever you are listening, and be sure to follow us on all social media at Your Queer Story. And if you want exclusive content, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. You're here, now let's get queer. Welcome back to another episode of Your Queer Story, where we're still sharing two mics between four people, and we're social distancing. And this is your host, Evan Jones, with... And Paul Hobbs. And if you would like us to not have to share multiple microphones, if you join us on Patreon for as low as $3, you get exclusive access to behind-the-scenes content that you have never heard before, because we know you love to hear Evan and I run our mouths. Mm -hmm. Um, We're also joined by my fiancé, David, again. Hi, everybody. I'm David, or Kelly Square, as I'm known in the community. And we also have Vima with us. Hello. I hope all of you missed me. <laughs> <laughs> they did. I lo- you, know what? you know, on the website, I need to go back and tag every episode you're in with, like, Vima, so we can have, like, a whole section where people can just listen to the The episodes. Vima section. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So, Vima, um, you have been busy. I know that last week you plugged your um, the new work that you've been on since January, but go ahead again. All right. So, as mentioned last week, um, I am part of the board of the CSPH, um, the Center for Sexual Health and Sexual Pleasure and Health. I'm so sorry. I always confuse those two. Um, <laughs> so the mission of the CSPH is to advance culturally inclusive, medically accurate and pleasure-informed sexuality education, therapy, and professional training. We provide the sex education that you deserve. Uh, So there you go. It's a great organization. We bring education to college kids when they are actually in college. Um, We're also doing webinars um, through either Zoom or some other platforms that we've used. We also have a open request for proposals if you're a sets educator and would like to bring a webinar find us at thecsph.org and you can find the link there to submit your proposal and you can also find the information there or on our social media on our upcoming webinars so it's a great organization it's a it brings education uh, the sets education you deserve putting pleasure first the pleasure that you bring yourself on however you decide to express your sexuality is the most important thing and that's the message that we're bringing to the community think about how far sex education has came since when we were in school like we were never taught that sex was pleasurable i was always taught that sex was dangerous especially any sort of queer sex was dangerous so it's awesome to see an organization like this that is promoting sexual health and pleasure at the same time yeah it's great because when i was in school i was taught abstinence and it clearly didn't work so right exactly and it goes beyond teaching you how to use a condom and 
be abstinent, it teaches you to it teaches you consent and it teaches you mental health, which is tied to your sexuality as Absolutely. well. Um, there's there's a lot of different angles and facets that you need to think about when you're thinking about your own sexuality. It's not just the sets. It's what comes before that is the relationships that you form with your partners is whether or not you decide to be sexually active and in what way. And there's uh, many different ways to be sexually active. Um, so we bring all this information to you in a way that is not shameful, that is just teaching you to be safe, to be to honor yourself and to honor your partners. And that's the most important part. Absolutely. Shame leads to making poor sexual and sexual health decisions. Um, the feeling of shame, you want to hide everything. And I remember learning about sex in school and it just wasn't something that was taught in this way. And I'd love to see sexual education in school be taught this way. I think it's the future. I think it's healthy. I think it's it teaches kids to make informed decisions. It's beautiful. Yeah. So we've been, the organization is 10 years old. We just had our 10th year anniversary in March. And if you want us, if you want to help us get to our 20 year anniversary, go and donate. Uh, we're doing a 10 for 20 pledge. Um, on our website or on our social media, you can find it at the CSPH on all social media. If you can't find that, just go find my Instagram or Facebook or Twitter um, at Just Vima. And you can find the links there, too, because I am completely linked to the organization. Go donate. Go donate. <laughs> you know, maybe you could do some sort of a drag collab. I would love to. Um, I'm, I'm down Just to collab. On. <laughs> I will talk to my people about that. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I can make a video about how to put on a condom properly. You know, all that fun stuff. So maybe when this is over, some kind of fundraiser. Absolutely. Just some ideas. I don't mm, know. Yeah. I don't know. I'll, what, I'll talk, what I'll talk to the are. fundraising folks at the organization. <laughs> Could be fun. We are in our final week of honoring queer Latinx culture and history, and it seems fitting to go out with the infamous Walter Mercado. The icon was an astrologer and TV spiritual advisor who held daily shows to over 120 million viewers at the height of his career. His charisma and charm captivated his followers, while his androgynous identity baffled his critics. In a culture overrun with Catholicism and gender roles, Walter Mercado became a beacon of hope for many Latinx viewers who were also gender nonconforming. His defiance of the norms broke the barrier of sexuality, and even at age 87, he couldn't suppress a grin when folks questioned him whether he still held onto his V-card. So let us dive into the mystical world that is Walter Mercado, or Walter of the Miracles. Born in Ponce, Puerto Rico on March 9, 1932, the same year that women's suffragish, suffragish was passed in Puerto Rico and the same year that the island voted in the first female legislator in the Western Hemisphere. Walter seemed destined to be to the realm of spirituality at a young age. He was always considered different, but rather than discouraging this, Mercado's mother, Aida, told him to embrace his authenticity, saying, to be different is a gift. To be ordinary is common. Decades later, Walter's close confidant, Willie Acosta, told producers, Walter always takes a pill called an I don't care pill. It's amazing to think about the barriers that Walter Mercado bro like broke in 
this like macho man culture so long ago when things like that are just happening in the U.S. now, I feel like. I feel like there was no U.S. version of Walter Mercado. No one did what he did in mainstream media here. No, that was, uh, it's true because as I was researching, I was looking for someone that, you know, you could, because when you're comparing, you try to equate. So listeners might know if mm-hmm. they, if they're not familiar with Walter Ricardo. And I was like, I can't think of anyone. I mean, you might could do Liberace, but even Liberace wasn't on Walter Mercado's level, you know, and definitely di- didn't even have his confidence. This early acceptance of his so-called differences empowered Walter Mercado. His confidence was transformed into purpose through a unique experience when he was a young boy. After a small bird lay dying on his backyard, Walter picked up the injured animal, prayed for it, and then released it to fly away. Astounded by what she had seen, a neighbor began to spread the word of Walter's healing powers. Villagers lined up outside the Mercado home and waited for a chance to touch Walter of the Miracles. These experiences influenced Mercado to study pharmacy and psychology when he went off to university. He hoped to create more medicines and healing techniques for those in need. However, it seemed that medicine began to take a back seat to Walter's other passion, the arts. So his um, this healing of the bird was um, kind of like, it, it very played up into the, uh, the Catholicism where you believe in saints and you believe that people can have healing powers. And so his mother would take him actually and set him down. And then she would let the villagers come in and touch him. And I mean, I am not a religious person at all. And I don't know what I believe in the realm of spirituality, but I will say that from a young age, it did seem that Walter had some kind of connection to something other than himself, whatever that is or look like. Um, and, and then I think that also plays into a, ma- a culture that may believes more in that as well, you know. So th- those are just my thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like in Puerto Rico, Catholicism and like religion, it's a little more mystical, I feel like. I feel like there's like a connection to like miracles and stuff like that that people still talk about that isn't really present in religion here. So this stuff is a lot more like acceptable I would say in common do you feel yeah. that way Vima oh yeah um so the the Puerto Rican culture is deeply Christian and most of the most people have the ca- Catholic version of Christ- Christianism mm-hmm. but there's also this historical background that we have that was brought on from the slave trade of the richness of culture from East Africa that merged with Catholicism and created Santeria. And even though not everybody is a Santero in Puerto Rico, it is still part of the culture. So this mysticism of having healing hands, of being able to perform miracles is part Catholic and it's also part Santero. And it's that mysticism that seeps into the culture and that's why it's so easy to believe that he had some sort of spirituality that nobody else had or had some sort of power because that is ingrained in our culture it's not let's not paint a picture in your head that is people that were dumb and could could only believe in in silly things like this it is so ingrained in your culture that you're like you know i don't know if it's true or not but at the same time i know there's a connection that this child has with a higher power 
and we believe in that and we are honoring that and sometimes we want to take advantage of that one way or the other and that's why when he was allowed to see other people to either touch him or whatnot is that spiritual connection that that people are trying to make to a higher power using him as a conduit when we were talking about our Hawaiian queer culture, we did an episode on that uh, a little while back, and we talked about how in the, like the the Virgin Islands and the Caribbean, um, how people in, in these areas and in most areas that aren't really white European, there was this idea that God was within us and about us and not that God was above us. And that's the difference, that in most cultures that that is how people see God, like God can be in you or directly through you. Whereas in colonizing, they put God as above so that they could create a hierarchy of like, this is God and this is me. I speak and serve for God. And this is why I am allowed to, um, to overthrow you. This is why I'm allowed to steal and take from you because I'm doing it in the name of God. And it was mm-hmm. this mindset that switched. Just the justification. Yeah. Yeah. Walter Mercado said it himself that, God is in in here, and he pointed to his own chest. That's sacrilegious. How dare he say that? Yeah. No, but yeah, white religion was definitely set up to control and also to give justification for why it was okay for them to take everybody else's land, and they're just saving them for God. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, I actually wanted to be a priest just because like, going to church with my grandmother was like, such a beautiful thing the it's so different than what you think of like sitting in the pew and like knees up rise saying like it was an experience like the beautiful robes the the art in the church the beautiful music and walter mercado definitely resonated with that and i think that's why he was able to break that barrier because it was a lot it was almost like a religious experience so the 1950s saw a revival of Puerto Rican culture as the United States finally allowed the island to become a commonwealth and adopt a constitution. Couldn't quite let it go, but they're like, we'll give you a little more freedom, <laughs> um, I guess. A uh, decision that came more than 50 years after American oppression and capitalist corruption. The transition to the commonwealth was by no means easy. Two Puerto Rican revolutionaries failed in an attempt to assassinate President Harry S. Truman in hopes of inspiring true independence from America. Yet, as is often the case in times of civil unrest, the arts thrived amidst the chaos. Walter Mercado became a national sensation on the dance floor and soon began his work as an actor as well. Television didn't make its way to the island until 1954, but with a matter of, within a matter of years, Walter Mercado was appearing on various shows. All right, so I have a lot of opinions on this, but I want to hear what you think, Vima. Do you think... That Puerto Rico in like in its future in the next like fifty years, do you think that Puerto Rico should become a state? No, <laughs> <laughs> I sh- I should elaborate. I think I think so. Um, all right, so I like our listeners know from our episodes a year ago. I did grow up in Puerto Rico, and but this is still my opinion, not the whole island. So take it for whatever you want. But my issue is. Puerto Rico is not a commonwealth. Massachusetts is a commonwealth. And there's a couple other states that are also called commonwealth. Puerto Rico is a colony. And people can debate me however much they want. Puerto Rico is still a colony. Why? Because we get no vote 
for yeah. any federal election, we have no voice in the House of Representatives or in the Senate. We have a representative that has no vote and he needs he or she or whoever it's serving as the representative needs to take somebody else's place of talking in order for him to talk. Um, so, for example, AOC has given her time to talk to a Puerto Rican representative before. That is the only way that they can talk on the on the floor of the of our Congress, because we don't have an actual voice. We don't have a turn. We don't have a vote in Congress. We can vote for president or vice president or any um, state um, federal legislation. Our only vote is state votes. And moreover, there's a lot of resources that are exported into the United States and we never see the benefit back. We have a very strong or we had a very strong pharmaceutical industry that has been decimated by changes in laws that we had no say in. Um, we had a very strong agricultural industry that was decimated in the 40s and 50s by this effort by the United States of assimilating the people of the island into the American way. And that was their code word for we're going to destroy your agricultural businesses to bring industries in that bring money to us. But we never see that money back in terms of per capita dollar amounts. I don't have the dollar amounts with me, but we make a lot more than we get back in AIDS. So I, I do hear a lot of people saying, oh, but we give you so many things. And when you see the numbers, if we could have kept all of the resources that we give each year in house, we wouldn't need any of that. Exactly. And I, I think that's a huge misconception that people have is that Puerto Rico's taking all these resources from the United States and we're in the U.S. isn't getting anything from us when the reality is very far from that. Yeah. And we had we had a very strong agricultural industrial complex, I guess. Um, we were first in in sugar exports and we were also first in rum export because of the sugar. Um, we had a very strong coffee in industry. We had a very strong tobacco industry and a very strong um meat uh cow industry i guess <laughs> whatever you call that a beef industry all those were decimated to the point where now they're craft they're the one-offs they're not enough to sustain the community because they were destroyed and now we rely mostly on tourism but all half of those dollars of tourism never make it into the hands of the people because a lot of the tourism has been converted into tourism that benefits the the export. So you have big chain hotels like the Hilton and all these resorts are taking in all this money, but they're not putting it back into the community. Right, it goes to it, the American... It goes back into yeah. mainland USA and it never benefits the community around it. If we could have a uh, tourism industry where the dollars generated stayed in the island, we will be rich be be beyond compare. Oh, absolutely. So uh, yeah. what I want for Puerto Rico is independence. I want the island to be its own nation, its own country. 
is it going to happen in my lifetime? Probably not. Um, most likely, like 99% sure that it's not going to happen, but that's what I want for the island. My second choice will be statehood because if we're going to give that much to the states, then at least we get something back in terms of rights. We have taxation without representation in the island, and that is the antithesis of what the United States is. So my second choice will be, yes, let's become a state. What we are right now, we're a colony, mm -hmm. and that is just deplorable at this time and age. In the 21st century, there are, there are still colonies around. I agree. It's, it's one or the other. Don't keep us on the in-between. Either give us statehood and give us the right to vote and some say to make decisions on a on a federal level or give us independence so that way we can thrive as an economy and because the the formula to, for puerto rico to thrive it's there and like that's how my family ended up coming here is because those industries got decimated um my family's first job my grandparents first jobs were picking tobacco um and once those industries were decimated they were forced pretty much forced to come here just to be able to find enough work to live um yeah that's and that's and that's the same story for there was a big migration of puerto ricans from the in the 50s to mainline usa as a direct result of the decimation of these industries a lot of farmers a lot of blue collar workers lost their livelihood they lost everything and they had nowhere else to go because what was substituting these jobs were things that they were not equipped to work with so they they had no option but to migrate into mainland usa where they had more opportunity but it's not that the usa is the land of opportunities that we lost ours as part of this quote-unquote assimilation of american culture and we lost a lot of our culture as well there's a lot of things that we do as puerto ricans that are main strictly american and we assimilated that because that was our only option i mean it comes to the point where there was a law la ley de la mordaza where you couldn't fly your own puerto rican flag which is why we wear our flag even in our indies because there was a time where it was illegal to fly our own flag that was how bad it got so there was that that big migration in the 50s there, there was a second migration in the 2000s between the the 1990s and the 2000s that's part of the migration that i came in here i came in here in 2010 because of the same reason i didn't have the job opportunities because the recession in the in 2009 affected the island much worse because we were being strained for resources and not given any aid and i couldn't find a job so i have to move to the U the united states but I would love to go back and, and work there instead. Yeah, I mean, if you if you want a, a perfect example on the the way that Puerto Rico is treated differently, I mean, look at the hurricane relief, um, the way we were throwing out paper towels, um, you know, for a photo op is disgusting. Um, and don't be fooled by the aid that is just supposedly approved to. Um, what was it a five million or five billion um deal to reinvigorate the infrastructure of the island look at when this is happening and 
just check in a couple of months if that money actually is going to get to the island. Because we've seen these relief packages that have been approved to be sent to the island and somehow they always stop short. They don't make it. And that's what's going to happen to this one. So any, anyone that's in the U.S. and has the the right to vote and they can vote, think about that before casting your vote. That is a political move to persuade you in thinking, we're trying to help the island, but really, is that money really going to get to the hands of the people or is it going to get stopped before it gets to the island? Right. It's just convenient that three years you can't get any aid and all of a sudden here we are three months before, two months before the election and all of a sudden it's passed. I'm fucking sure. So, mm-hmm. it, yeah, it's all it's 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 very sad because the colony has been used as a political pawn over and over again. And I feel like there's a lot of promises of either statehood or letting the, the colony of Puerto Rico go. But it's all just using the people of Puerto Rico to, you know, for, for politics and image. Yep. But back to Walter Mercado. <laughs> we should go back to because I can make five episodes on just talking about Puerto Rican politics. <laughs> So his time as an actor eventually led to his life's work. One day, when a guest canceled for a daytime show slot, the producer asked Walter to fill in at the last minute. Unsure of what he should do during his 25-minute slot, the producer suggested Walter discuss the astrology he was constantly going on about. The segment was an instant success, and the story goes that as soon as Walter ended the general ended, the general manager requested he sign on for a 15-minute spot every day. Within three months, 15 minutes had turned into a one-hour slot on the variety sh- show El Show de las 12. Doce. De doce. El Show de las Doce. <laughs> there you go. His show, Walter, la... His show, Walter, las estrellas y usted. Walter, the stars in you, became the first one... <laughs> became the first one... Uh, dedicated completely to astrology and launched in 1969. I just love that. He, he's like just minding his business and they're like, hey, Walter, why don't you come on and do this little show for us? Uh, just do like on astrology. And that was it. And he was gone. Like, what would what would you do if someone called and asked you to do 25 minutes on a slot? Um, Last minute. Oh, my God. They're like, hey, this guy just canceled. Come in today and do this. I'd probably just do my makeup. <laughs> I mean, I, I will I mean, watch that. A twenty-five minute quick face. A twenty-five minute quick face. I mean, I wouldn't know what else to do. So the fact that he went on and did this, and they would just put him on the spot, and were like, "Hey, you're gonna do this every day uh, yeah. for fifteen minutes. Let's go." Yeah, but it seemed like that was his hobby of like knowing about astrology. Like, uh, there's a lot of people that still have the hobby. Um, I'm not into astrology even though I watch him every day. Um, and I still, I know, waited for him to come on. Um, but it was his hobby of, he was probably behind the scenes always talking about like, oh, I'm reading this on, on Pisces or I'm reading this on Gemini. And they're like, you know what? We have some time to kill. Why don't you go on, on TV and talk about it? Let's it's see. Like if, yeah. It's like if we needed you to fill in a time slot about Puerto Rican politics, right? right. <laughs> you can shoot it off the cuff right there. <laughs> so it's that same feeling of like, oh, yeah, I got this. I know all about that. I know mm-hmm. all about this. <laughs> well, it's, it's like what they say. You do what you love, you know? Mm-hmm. Do what you love. You never work a day in your life. 
Um, is that true? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> but at least it's better. That's the thing. Yeah, you're not miserable. Yeah, as someone who now does work that I love, yeah, it's still work, but at least I, I don't feel so drained at the end of the day. Over the years, Walter's show continued to morph and transform in its reach. He continued his daily segment, but also launched a more in-depth weekly show on Telemundo, which explored tarot readings and the occult. As the popularity of Mercado rose, so did the demand for his work. He wrote daily horoscopes for newspapers, hosted a morning radio show, and appeared as a guest on countless news and talk show segments, including his most popular slot, his most popular slot Premier Impacto? Primer Impacto. Primer Impacto. Which is a hilarious, serious show. Um, so Primer Impacto is a news show, but they're very... Animated. Animated and controversial in terms of the things that they say may not be the correct things that really happen, <laughs> like alien abduction kind of things, it's, but they're very serious about it. It's the National Enquirer of oh, news, okay. oh, essentially. Okay. They, they do pepper in some truth, but exaggerated and animated, and you can't miss it. You have to watch it every week. My question is, do, do, does everyone know this, or do they believe it? Or is it kind of like the National Enquirer, where like some people believe it, but most of it just most people just use it for entertainment? Half and half. Okay. Yeah, there's some people are like, do you know what I listened to in Primer Impacto? Can you believe they did that? And I'm like, no, they didn't, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to start my own news network like that now. You can. <laughs> um, it's, and also, I put his most popular slot, Premier Impacto, because I thought that was the name of his show and not that it was actually a whole like news show. So <laughs> he had the 15 minutes that he did were on Primer Impacto. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. It is estimated that around 150 radio stations aired his show during its peak with millions and millions of television viewers every single week as well. In the Latin world, there were few more notorious figures than Walter Mercado. His ins he inspired an almost cult-like following. His popularity only increased with his introduction to the English-speaking world. You're bigger than Jesus Christ, Howard Stern told Mercado when Walter arrived as a radio guest. The astrologer preferred to be compared to the Buddha, but took the compliment nonetheless. <laughs> his expansion into English television and radio came as a result of his partnership with Bill Bacala. Um, though Walter had become a star in his own right, it was under Bacala's ma management that he became a prophet of the New Age. His number of viewers and listeners went from millions to more and 100 million audience members weekly. He appeared on every major morning show and radio show in America and Canada. By the 1990s, Walter became one of the biggest stars on the planet. Now, do you remember Vima seeing Walter come on the television? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> every like, single Sunday. I think it was Sunday. Um, he was on the morning news of the local news channel on Puerto Rico, wherever I was living at the time. And he would come on. It was like the traffic, the weather, and the horoscope with Walter Mercado. And it was a, a canned segment that I think aired in a bunch of different places because you could tell that it, he wasn't like live. Um, but it was at least every week. I don't remember if it was every day and it may have been but i wasn't watching tv every day mm -hmm. uh, but definitely every sunday i would watch him now for someone who doesn't know what walter mercado looks like or has never seen him on tv what would be your best way 
to describe the feeling when Walter came out on the television? Mystical. Um, You see this guy that is sitting, or this person, because he was very androgynous in his look, this person that has this perfectly coiffed, coiffed hair, um, a bit of makeup on his face where you could tell that he's wearing makeup, but not to the point where he's doing drag. Mm -hmm. It's just his makeup. Mm -hmm. He has this glorious cape that is shiny and sparkly. The background is also shiny and sparkly. (laughs) He's wearing about 12 rings in all his fingers. And he has these mannerisms that are, I'm I'm doing them now, even though no one can see them, um, (laughs) that were like soft and embraced something that was mystic, but also comforting. And you hear him talk. And I mean, you kind of, depending on your beliefs, you kind of felt, at least I felt like, well, this is a little bit of BS, but at the same time, it makes me feel good. Oh, yeah. And like, he, he probably had the same hairstyle as my abuela does now. <laughs> and... Yeah. Tons of hairspray to get that perfect. The perm, the perm Perm. with the hairspray, and then you brush it out after. Mm -hmm. That's the one. About three inches high from his forehead. Yeah. Uh, But it's not. It wasn't comical. He didn't look like a clown. He looked like a person that came from the mystic land of mysticism. Uh, <laughs> it was it was this view of like you're you can't make fun of him. Like you never made fun of him. You listen carefully to what he was saying. Because he didn't the way that he did the horoscope, it wasn't predicting your life. It was almost like giving you advice depending on your zodiac sign. Yeah, and what he did was more it was more like he never said anything. He tried to stay away from negative things and he told you positive things so it was more like a motivational speech every day when you watched him than you know like oh you're gonna face a hardship this week and blah blah blah. it it was way more positive than that as a whole yeah it was always positive so I guess my question then is well, this person that's so androgynous and especially if you grow up in this and, and we know that in Latin American cultures is a much more conservative, which we had a good conversation about that a little bit um, in the last episode. So what did you but what how did did that conflict with your ideas of masculinity or was Walter just like Walter and that was separate? Like, what did you think as especially as a young person seeing someone who doesn't fit the mold of masculine or even feminine? For me, he looked larger than he was above masculine and feminine he was not a god but like someone that was i'm not gonna deal with this issue of masculine and feminine that the the common folk will deal with i am above that and i am not bothered by it but he still presented slightly masculine because he still used like he and him pronouns. Um, he was always Walter, which is a very masculine name. But his expression, it was him. It wasn't masculine or feminine. It was just, this is Walter and I am above all this. It's like the way you look at a priest. Like, you never look at a priest and think, oh, he's wearing a feminine cape. Yeah. Like, no one's ever thought that. You're like, he is a mystical being with a message from somewhere that I cannot access. So like, and then also like, I personally was allowed to be very feminine at my grandmother's house. And 
she would paint my nails and take it off before like the rest of the family got there and I was tr- it's like that was like truly a blessing in my life that maybe because she's seen someone like Walter Mercado she understood maybe that I was a little bit different and that it was a gift and not a curse she never tried to change me or make me more masculine she always let me embrace my femininity as long there as there was no one else to watch <laughs> <laughs> Though his identity and expression bogged the standards of the day and even many people's standards to this day, somehow Mercado thrived above it all. Even as comedians build their sketches of, of homophobic and queerphobic jokes aimed at Mercado, often through impressions, the megastar continued to be idolized. People cl- clamored. Yeah, uh, for what they saw as an eccentric personality and they adore his commitments to his authenticity. As one commentator put it, he was both embraced and othered at the same time. In many ways, Walter Mercado could not be compared to the average individual who wishes to, de- to defy gender norms. He was seen as a spiritual being by many, as a laughingstock by some, and as an individual simply not of this world by most. But for a few, he was he was the very strand of hope to which they clung. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I was trying to say, that like he was above it all. And that is realizing a little bit of othering, but not in a way of ostracizing, but in a way of putting him higher than everybody else because of how he suited this spiritualism that wasn't judgy. He wasn't like, you're going to hell. He mm-hmm. was more like, you should embrace the fact that you're going to get challenges this week and try to put it with your best foot forward or stuff like that. So that's how I saw him all the time. Well, th- and that was what was interesting to me because there were clips of comedians making fun of him, but even then it was it was almost an irreverence. It's the way that you do poke fun at someone that you love and revere. And even if there were those clips, that was not what most people, how most people felt. Most people would have been offended if you tried to mock Walter Mikado in front of them. And most people would not have stood for that. And the few comedians who did were, you know, like, again, it wasn't, that wasn't as, um, that was the mocking Walter Mercado was not as big as I think it would have been in America. Like in America, I think he would have just been a laughing stock. But I think in, in Latin in the Latin world, he was much more because they understood. And I also think that plays into remembering again that a lot of um, these communities had different perceptions of gender before colonization. Even though Latin America has become very gendered, before that you see, especially in Native uh, tribes and groups, you see third genders. We talked, uh, again, in, in Hawaiian queer culture, I know it's different, but again about um, the, uh, well, I can't think of it now. Mahu. The Mahu. <laughs> we talked about the Mahu and how most groups understood that there were other genders or that gender was not, you know, maybe you were gendered, but there could be three, four, five genders. So I think that played into it as well. Celebrity Carlo Carlo speaks fondly of Walter Mercado, stating, Growing up as a queer boy and watching Walter Mercado gave me hope. I saw Walter and I was like, okay, I'm not that different. Here you have a man on television breaking all the rules. But it wasn't simply Mercado's expression that inspired people. It was his 
flippancy, I don't know what that word means, it was his flippancy (laughs) over those who tried to criticize or mock him. Walter didn't simply wear the extravagant clothes and jewelry, he spoke openly about his feminine energy and refused to be embarrassed by it. Rather than shrinking away in fear that when someone hurled the F word or defiantly insisting he was not a queer, Mercado seemed... Mercado seemed unfazed by those insults. Walter Mercado did not believe that being called a woman or being called a queer was offensive because he did not view LGBTQ plus people or women as inferior. The machoism of the Latinx culture could not... Machismo. Oh, the machismo of the Latinx culture could not stick to Walter. And that's something very powerful uh, before we jump in into something else. Um, his belief in the, the true statement of LGBT folks and women are not inferior to men which means you calling me queer or you calling me a woman is not an insult it's just may or may not be correct but it's not oh my god you have offended me because there's nothing to be offended about and that's a very powerful message for a culture that is very machista chauvinistic will be the word in english um uh, our culture is very machista and having someone say like oh you call me a woman oh well it's nothing wrong with being a woman so why should i be offended that is one of the biggest messages i took as a woman growing up in puerto rico from him of there's nothing wrong with being a woman he sometimes looks feminine and doesn't care and is not ashamed by it me as a woman should not be ashamed uh, to be a woman and I should not be treated inferior because I'm a woman. And it, it was interesting because in his interviews, he always like he would be asked questions like that. Um, you know, if people think you're feminine or people want to know, are you a man or a woman? Or or he might be asked questions like, are you gay? Um, or not using those words, but like asking him if he's attracted to men and he always just like shrugged it off. He's like, oh, you know, they say, well, are you worried that you be identified as feminine? He's no. And that was it. It was a very simple question of like, I'm, I don't care if that's how people label me. It's not something I'm afraid of because that's really what's at the base of homophobia, queerphobia, transphobia. It's the fear of, you know, being labeled or, you know, fear of that community. Mm-hmm. And I love the way that he gives like those sarcastic answers to those questions. <laughs> like, and you see the smile that he gives when he it's gets a little... a- asked those <laughs> questions, even though his face doesn't freaking move. Um, you can see that little smirk come up, and when he gets asked those questions, and he laughs it off and just gives a you know a silly answer. It doesn't bother him, and I think that's something that everyone should take from him is the strength that he had when faced with criticism and and questions about his personal life and sexual identity um he really was brave when it came to those questions and tackled them head on and that approach really worked for him yeah and he reminds me of another latin icon uh, juan gabriel who was a famous mexican singer that he was asked once like are you gay do you like men and he said what you can see you don't need to ask Lo que se ve no se pregunta. Because there you go. Do you need to really ask me that question? No, it's none of your business. Your business to ask me questions in in the case of Walter Mercado is ask me about astrology. Ask me about how the planets align to your benefit. Stuff like that. Not who I like. Mm-hmm. I think I, I actually put that phrase in here. I think we did <laughs> Yeah. I was just going to say, like, seeing if I had saw Walter on TV, I think it would have made a big 
I, it would have had a very good positive impact on my life and how I viewed myself because not that I necessarily tried to hide the feminism, the feminist, the female traits that I would express sometimes. I felt that they weren't right for me, so I tried not to do them. And I think just having somebody like that on TV would have made all the difference. Yeah, and someone, me, like, someone telling you, I have this feminine energy, and you're like, oh, that's what it is that I have. Yeah. Whether you believe it's an energy or a feeling or whatever it is, but just having someone connect those dots for you when you're in your formative years would have it made, made a world difference. All the difference, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Who wants to read? <laughs> yeah, when it came to sexuality, Mercado was very closed lipped it could be due to a lack of terminology. It seems likely that Walter was asexual and probably, possibly aromantic. Throughout the years, many people tried to get him to open up about his romances. Yet the astrologer replied that he was a virgin or made statements such as, I have sex with the wind, with the flowers in the garden, and all the beautiful displays of nature. I don't need a person, especially to make me happy and have experiences with. No, I have sex with life. Walter's longtime assistant, Willie, reinforces this fact and strongly rebuffs the rumors that the two of them are lovers. My relationship with Walter is a family relation. I have never touched Walter with a finger, Acosta adamantly tells producers in the documentary Mucho Mucho Amor, The Legend of Walter Mercado. And in case you are wondering if he was like, so he didn't say, he didn't just say, oh, I'm a virgin. He was a smart ass about it. He was like, oh, I'm a virgin. <laughs> like, Yeah, he was sassy. He was sassy when, about because it. Because these questions oh, became very, yeah, they became very personal and very intrusive. And his answer to that was sass, yeah. which is also a oh, very Latino trait. Um, but it was sad, um, sass. And the answer of like, I have sets with the air and with the wind and with the flowers it talked about his connection his spiritual connection with the earth and with mother nature and his belief system mm -hmm. and he was all in on that whether or not he had relationships and there were he was protecting those relationships or maybe he was a romantic arrow ace um and didn't have any relationships that part is, was really irrelevant to the people mm -hmm. that were asking him these questions and that was his point of You need to know about my spirituality, not my life. And he, and, took, he took that to his grave. Oh, yeah. He never he never commented on it. Like, he never openly gave a, a yes or no answer to any of those questions. He yeah. was who he was, and he didn't apologize for it. And he didn't feel like he had to explain himself. Which yeah. Is, and it uh, makes you wonder, like, why should we care about a, a specific individual's life? in that way that is personal and yes we need representation yet we need people that carry the flag forward if they want to right it's But not if, their burden to exactly have like, to you don't have to you don't have to be the flag carrying arrow ace of the century if you don't want to if your world and your passion is outside of lgbt issues and you happen to be LGBT, you're not forced to be that beacon for others. Would it be nice? Sure. But that burden should not be on a specific individual, especially if that wasn't his lane. Like that wasn't his passion. His passion was spirituality and the mystic, the occult. Yeah. So why are we trying, why they, not we, but they, the, the interviewers of the time were trying to get these answers from him when he's, make it very clear uh 
none of your business is the answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and and like we, I find that it still happens even today. It's still a hot headline when they think a celebrity is gay or like Harry Styles is wearing female clothes and oh maybe he's gay, and it's st- it still makes headlines and it's and it's kind of sick because like. Who cares? Would it make a difference in his music? Would it make a difference in the styles of art he puts out? No. No, not at all. It's too intrusive. Um, I was just going to add to that in the documentary when they asked if he was still a virgin and he responded with, I don't remember what, and then they said, you really are a virgin? And he goes, yeah, the only one left in town. And it was just the way. (laughs) (laughs) So for those on the outside, it seems easier to believe Mercado is gay or bisexual than to believe he has no desire for sex at all. But for those who understand that gender expression is not tied to sexual orientation, the two are distinctly separated. It is not surprising that the spiritual individual would not find the same connections to humanity as others, but would connect to the world around him in a different way. However, the simple explanation does not stop the rumors from flying. Many have assumed that Walter Mercado was gay and never came out to protect his career, though most have let the point rest. This fits the Latinx culture, as Carlo Carlo points out, in a notorious Puerto Rican saying, what you can see, you don't ask about. What Lo que se ve no se pregunta. That was actually, um, so Juan Gabriel is is a very famous singer. I believe he's uh, of Mexican descent. And he was asked often of like, are you gay? Because he was very flamboyant in his presentation. Um, And he would say, lo que se ve no se pregunta. What you see, you don't need to ask. And it's a way of like, it's nanya. It's basically nanya. At the height of his popularity in 1995, Walter signed over all rights to manager Bill Bacala in a contract he did not read. The contract stripped Mercado of all rights to his own public image, name, any likenesses, and work in all territories under the universe for all of time. While it seems Walter believed in his passion first, he certainly is not completely blameless for the entanglement of Bill Bacala. However, it was Bill who turned Mercado's work into a fraud through 1-800 numbers that scammed countless poor and innocent people. The contract put Bill in charge of all Walter's work and isolated Mercado from his employees, his business partners, and eventually his fans. Bacala made millions upon millions off Walter and the work he created under Walter's name. By the time Walter realized the situation, he was locked into an airtight contract with Bill that took him six years to break and forced Walter out of television as he had no legal rights to his name. His final show aired in October of 2006. In Bacala's interview, he showed no remorse or regrets for his actions. Yeah, and um, so, and I'm not I'm trying to blame Walter. I just meant that, like, you know, Bill Bacala or Bakula, I don't remember how, but Bill, like, was a really shady person. And I don't know that Walter didn't realize that like, Hey, maybe this will get me a little farther, but I don't think he had ill intent. I think, you know, maybe he knew that he was fudging the truth a little bit, but he didn't think it would get to where it did. And then Bill turned it into a really awful thing. And when he realized that and he wanted to get out, he couldn't by then. I mean, just the idea of putting such an asinine contract of, I have rights to everything that is you under the universe for all time. 
that just shows the the deviousness of Bill. And then even decade a decade more later, he just he's like, I have no regrets, no regrets. Take it out of the dictionary. He's just such a pompous ass. Mm-hmm. He posed as a friend to Walter. Oh yeah. And Walter believed in the friendship, and this guy took advantage of him in a very disgusting way. Mm-hmm. And my favorite part about this part of the story is like. Even though this man took so much from Walter, it didn't seem to face him. Like in the end interviews and stuff like that, he seemed like he accepted that this was part of his life journey and still had good spirits. And and to say that you're, you're not bitter at someone after they do something like that to you is not a trait that probably many of us could possess. The trial and the damage to the friendship were devastating for Walter. Though he eventually earned back some income, he lost the rest of the court battle. Two two days later, Walter suffered a massive heart attack, which prevented him from ever returning to television. Over the years, many of his capes were sold for funds and treatment, and a few were donated to raise money for charities. In the last few years, Mercado's popularity has been a small spike from younger generations. The 2020 Netflix documentary helps to explain the sudden disappearance of the astrologer and reignite interest. But Walter would not get to experience as he passed away from kidney cancer on November 2nd, 2019. So throughout his life, Walter received numerous awards, including Mr. Television by the Association of Latin Entertainment in 2014, but his impact and legacy for the LGBTQ plus community and for Puerto Ricans is perhaps... I keep spelling it wrong and it's annoying. I don't know. I didn't do that. Anyways, go ahead. <laughs> um, is perhaps our favorite. We appreciate him giving millions of people the courage to extend so much acceptance, tolerance, and much, much love to the world around them. Just in time for the dogs. And I, I didn't add it in here, but your recommended resource, which be would be Mucho Mucho Amor, The Legacy of Walter Mercado, which is available on Netflix. Um, and also just look up any YouTube clips of Walter Mercado and enjoy them in all their glory. Um, and I also have to make sure I don't post this with all these Puerto Rico spelled wrong. I think it, I think I <laughs> yeah, Vima will yell at you. I think uh, Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. No, Puerto I think Rico. I because what I do this annoying thing where my my I'll type something wrong and then it asks me if I want to add it to my dictionary and if I go too fast I add it and then it fixes all of the stuff. It's whatever. I'm fine. But that's it. Completely <laughs> fine. The other lesson of the day is. Even though you will trust your friends, always read anything that you sign. Yes. So your life is not signed away by an unscrupulous bastard that mm-hmm. told you that he was your friend and then stole your life away. Well, I'm glad you didn't read the contract before you started this podcast. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's that. There's a lesson for me, too. I hope you like this room because you'll be staying here for a little while. Damn. <laughs> but I... Going back to Walter, the biggest lesson that we can learn from him is to look at life in a positive side. He had a lot of troubles growing up. He had a lot of troubles at the end of his life. And he never let that make him bitter, like you said, David. Um, He was always a positive person, not to the point of nasturating, but to to the point of like, this is part of my journey and I have to go through this pain because there will be something better on the day ahead. 
mm-hmm. in the the phrase much much love is something that he always closed his shows with like i hope you have lots of peace but overall lots and lots of love and that is a message that no matter what your belief system is you can take to your everyday life if that's your horoscope every day then that is something you can believe every day Absolutely. Like a little positive intention. It really does go a long way. And it's something that I've tried to practice in my own life. And that's part of the reason I do drag is because I want to spread that positive energy, make someone smile, make like any action you can take in your daily life to make someone's life a little bit better. It really makes such a difference and you don't even realize it, Um, you know, so put some positivity out there. There we go. And on that note... Stay queer. Don't get a lobotomy. We love you, our little allied hookers. A little succulent sapphists. Resist the oppressors, our proud homocrats. And have yourself a sodomy circus. Or don't. And Black Lives Matter. Y que reciban de mí siempre paz, mucha paz. Pero sobre todo mucho, mucho, mucho que. Amor. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe and review wherever you are listening and follow us on social media at Your Queer Story. Like what you heard? Want to share your story? Send us a voice message to add to the podcast from the Anchor app or at anchor.fm slash yourqueerstory. And if you would like to support the work we do or get exclusive content, check us out on patreon.com slash yourqueerstory. See you next week. Bye. Bye.